Chantel, you gonna play us something? Play us a good intro? A good intro? Well, I have a oh, ukulele I near me. I'm not sure that's the right <laughs> intro vibe we want. I thought you had something ready I can, to I go. can wave my foot at people. <laughs> you know, that might actually work. <laughs> yeah, we always talk about the foot fetishing on here. <laughs> That was I mean, a you know what? It, five bucks is five bucks. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, welcome to tonight's episode of the Sex and Horror Podcast with authors Dicey Grinner, Chantel Renee, and our special guest, Mike Ennenbach. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and I, you know, all right. Uh, hey, you guys Mike, gotta, gotta get on YouTube and see this episode. It's also. For your viewing pleasure, obviously, because I just yeah. talked about showing my toes. Yes, you. That way, you can see Chantel's toes and her kitty ears. And I, I don't, I don't know what I got going on, but Mike has the full card behind him. Mike, tell yes, us about I that do. card. What's that card signify for you? Ah. You know, it's weird. I've given about a thousand different reasons. The cheesiest and most honest reason is all my favorite poets had a persona. Like, like uh, Bukowski's not really Hank in his writings. He's Chinaski, you know what I mean? And uh, Hunter never wrote as himself. He was always someone different. So uh, I'm very bipolar and I have borderline personality disorder. So kind of everything's always a fresh start for me, like a new beginning. So I just sort of picked the fool and I went with it. Oh, I love it. That makes sense, yeah. Is the borderline personality disorder, is that clinically diagnosed? Yes, it is. It is, okay. And does writing help with that? I didn't mention it, but you are a poet, a writer. Does that help with that? It's probably the only thing that really keeps me. I'm never even, but like since I, I learned to harness that when I'm really manic, I can do the poetry, but I can't concentrate enough for the fiction. And when I'm really depressed, then the fiction can kind of spill out and I can fall into it. So it's sort of a superpower while being yeah. the biggest weakness at the same time. Yeah. But that's a that's a wonderful way to channel that, though, right? I mean, because that's you have somewhere to put whatever's going on with you. You have somewhere to put it. I noticed you do a lot of writing on your Word Dep Depot page. You do a lot, like. A so lot. I was thinking, you know, is that a way for you to, you know, kind of stabilize, trying to get that out on a regular basis? Yes, it's. Okay. I, I don't know if people can really ever understand like everybody gets depressed and everybody has manic moments but yeah when you're a manic or when you're a puppet to it you know what i mean like it, like it's fun for moments like that's why people do coke or that's why people do drugs you know what i mean because you can do it for a couple hours but then you're back to normal again but i don't get that luxury so it's kind of the only way that i can work it all out too busy i guess my mind is would be the yeah. best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I definitely think I mean, writing has always been my outlet too. And now music. I'm moving into playing music too and arts. 
my paintings definitely hold a lot of that. You see the bone piece behind me. That's something I created. So oh, that's fantastic. Expression, that, right? Yeah. We just get so pent up and there has to be something. So art is a wonderful way to explode on the world and not cause problems. Which you know what really I mean? Is, not the initiative. Yeah, and, and it's really sad because so many schools have cut art and music. And it's just like, why are you doing that? These kids actually need these things. Yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the things that keep us from going off the deep end. Like, can you imagine the people who don't have this sort of outlet or any type of artistic outlet? The creative side is almost more important than anything else that we have. That's what kind of keeps us in this realm. I, I, I mean, depending on how you look at it. I, I kind of think we yeah. see it all the time now, the lack of pushing art, the lack of reading, the lack of appreciation for those ethereal things. Mm -hmm. Like everybody is now carbon copied and you just follow whatever trend there is. And that is what your identity is, is what's cool right now. But there's no, you, you just don't see people coloring outside of the lines anymore because when you color outside of the lines, people notice you and nobody wants to be noticed anymore. Or not yeah, really themselves at least. They don't what? want to be noticed for things that, that are good I guess is the right word or they don't want to be judged that's what it is they don't want to be you know what you can be you can be a millionaire or a billionaire for all the wrong reasons so isn't yeah, it easier yeah. to chase that you can chase that tiktok clout you can do whatever you want because now suddenly you're somebody even if it only lasts 10 seconds I mean Warhol said we all get 15 minutes they just do theirs that way I guess I guess so well, guys, just so you know, we, we have met Mike because all of us are going to be at the um, author, what is it, the, oh my gosh, what is it? Texas Author Con. Texas Author Con. July yeah, 15th and 16th or 14th and 15th, I'm the worst. That's July it. I knew the 15th was a big one. July I'm terrible about that. In Dallas, Texas, we're going to be at AuthorCon, and are we on a panel together, Mike? Yeah, yes. we're doing the Monsters panel. Monsters panel. Monsters versus Madness. That's yes. at four o'clock. Uh, yeah, on Saturday. Okay. All right. So if you all are in Dallas, you can come <laughs> up on um, on July fourteenth and fifteenth. Come to AuthorCon so you can meet Mike. Mike E. Can I call you Mike E? Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the last name's a monster. <laughs> so, Mike, why horror? Now, those of us who use um, writing, especially in this genre, as an escape, as a, as a healing technique, as something to keep us stable, and it, it would just seem like common sense to us, horror, you know? But what is... For those who don't know, for those who don't have that sort of outlet, why why horror? Why not romance? Why not um, comedy? You know, why did you choose horror? You know, I'm going to be really honest. I, yes. I did not choose horror. Horror okay. kind of chose me. Okay. Uh, okay. I was kind of content to be just a poet. I, I was writing short stories, but they were just, that was just for me. I'd had no real interest in doing anything. And uh, my friend Patrick C. Harrison III, he's 
he was writing for a while and I, I wrote a short story that I was proud of and I sent it to him just, you know, because you kind of want to show off to a friend or maybe I wanted to hear like somebody I respected and say, Hey, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. And he came back and asked me to put out a book. If I could give him like a collection of short stories. And next thing I knew, I was just kind of caught up in the groundswell. Like everybody around me was horror. So I found that that's sort of where I was leaning towards. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I, I I loved reading it. I grew up on, I mean, probably like we all did. My mom loved Stephen King. So it was King and Kuntz and Kellerman and, you know, the big names that put out a hardcover every single year at Christmas time. So I read all of that growing up. And then I just sort of, God, I got bored of it. Mm-hmm. You know, horror felt so samey after a while. Like you can only read 30 Stephen King books before you know he's going to talk about the trees for four hours. And, <laughs> you know, he's going to like, okay, I can skip most of this. He, he does what he does and he does it well. But after so many of them, my God, like I wonder he was on Coke. I'd have to be two to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of, I found the internet was neat. It was kind of just starting up and you could find out really cool, weird stuff. And I found some message board said something about Satan Burger with by a Carlton Mellick III. Mm. And I didn't know what the hell that, that was. So I ordered that up and I got it. And I realized that you could do anything you wanted with writing. Like once I found Bizarro and I started to explore Vandermeer's early stuff, like City of Madmen and Saints, and oh God, uh, Punkland, I was like, what the heck? Like, we'd been reading all this sanitized stuff for so long, and we were told that a story was this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden, I found all these little indie writers that I could only buy, you know, from a kind of skeezy looking website you weren't quite sure what you're going to get and they were almost always damaged but they were so worth it mm-hmm. Just, yeah. uh, then what i like I, I started writing and i never really figured out what i was going to do but i figured if i was going to go horror i was going to go as weird as possible mm-hmm. like try to put my own stamp onto it you know what i mean yeah yeah well it's funny that you brought that up because i think people are starting to realize that indie authors such as us, offer a whole different palette depending on, you know, the genre we're writing in. So say you love erotica and you're like, oh, I love erotica and, you know, you're 50 shades of gray in it. And then you happen upon a Dicey Grinner book, you're going to be like, holy shit, why did I read this other crap? This is great. (laughs) Like, wow, I didn't know somebody would write that down, you know? So, you know, that's that's what's so great. The colors were muted. Like what they put out for mass production, they just kind of make everything gentrified, bland. Like let's just like 50 shades of gray. That's exactly it. We don't need anything except just what'll sell. And then you you yeah. find people like, I mean, God, like Christine Morgan, she, she can literally write anything. Mm. Like smut, fantasy, horror, the most grotesque, depraved things. And it's just so wonderful to know that, that that's there. Yeah. 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 And to know that we can do that. I, I just finished a novel and it's got some really vile, crazy things in it. And actually Jay Mazur has, uh, has just finished uh, editing and reading it. And she was like, I need to shower a bunch now, but I love it. 
I was like, well, that's high praise coming from you, so I'm good. Man, Jay is absolutely killing it, too. I've been in a couple books with yeah. her, and to see the praise that she's getting and all the hard work she's been putting in, I mean, the ladies out there are, that's what I really like about India, I think, is that the women can just do it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, there's no, I don't, I don't know, there, there might be a glass ceiling. Fuck, I'm a white male, straight guy. So I probably don't see those things very well, but I see all my friends that are ladies out there just fucking killing it. And it's so impressive, you know? Yeah. Well, I think also, especially for indie authoring, um, indie books is because we don't have to go through the gatekeepers, you know? So, you know, there's a certain thing that is perpetuating itself in the mainstream and we're bypassing that by going straight to the market. So you can see more of us that you would ordinarily see because we're bypassing that system. I think you're starting to see that the uh, gatekeepers are becoming like us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden yeah. they're in the same place as we are. And it's like, well, what's going on? Oh, now you see what's going on. Yeah, there was a revolution. I, I don't, it, it was pretty cool. Like this has been an exciting period. Mm-hmm. Like especially, many... I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I just, I've been in it for like four years, and it's just been like just a rise where everything. It seems all the rules have changed in the last couple. You know what I mean? Like it's really cool yeah. to see the skyrockets. Like little people you'd never heard of are suddenly just exploding everywhere. It's great. Mm-hmm. How many publications are you in now? Oh God. I think by the end of the year, it's 60 or so. Oh, good That's for you. Awesome. I, I'm pretty steady churning out. It's usually an anthology every month or two. And I try to have a poetry collection every year. And I'm trying to get better about putting out individual stuff together for, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's my hard thing. I, I, I like Cerberus because I could hide. It was okay. Like there were three of us and I, I didn't have to be out there. I didn't have to speak. I could kind of be like, well, you know, talk to them. And then life was wonderful. And then you kind of get used to not being seen. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. But you can't uh, do it. You can't do that at the Texas author con. You're going to have a whole table to yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sharing one with Eric Butler because I would not do one by myself. There's no way I have to free roam. Like uh, AuthorCon 2 is this weekend. And they were like, are you getting a table? And I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to be able to hide. Like I'm going to Jamestown at some point. Sorry, you guys are trapped. Do you do this full time? No, absolutely not. Like, oh God, I write poetry for Christ's sakes. Like I can't buy gum most months with what I get for it. Like that's just, oh. You don't write poetry and expect that you're going to make money. <laughs> I just have to hope maybe one of the books sells and then the poetry goes, but that's ugh, pipe dreams. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm realistic yeah. on that. I feel you. The only thing I'm doing with my poetry now is adding it to music, making songs out of it. <laughs> hey, that's, it's my biggest argument and I say it all the time and it really, like the last Texas author con, I purposefully only brought poetry mm-hmm. and cause I thought maybe, you know, like maybe I'm going to connect, like maybe they'll see, I even baked cookies. I have a sign. 
<laughs> you bought the books, you got cookies. Like I was trying my hardest. Were they special be- cookies? No, of course not, because you can't do that with other people. I mean, I was stoned as shit. But, you know, let's, I mean, come on. But I mean, I'm just saying, looks. if you had one of those on the side, you'd make a lot of friends. Oh. But they'd, they'd come up and they'd be like, oh, you're a writer. And I'd be like, yes, I am. They'd be like, what do you write? And I'd go, oh, poetry. And then you could see them die. <laughs> like, I saw it die in their eyes. And the first time, like, part of me died. I was like, oh, God, that's what you think. But it was rough. Oh, my God. Like, I second-guessed everything. But what's funny is Patrick and I went to a bunch of punk rock shows at Amplified Live here in Dallas. And I sold out of the poetry so fast. Like the rock and rollers, they were a thought, like it was crazy. Patrick is selling horror next to me and I was selling two poetry books to every one horror and it made no sense to anyone, including me. Yeah. But oh, that author con, I'm doing it again. I already told River, uh, River Dixon runs Potter's Grove Press. That's where I put my poetry out there. And I was like, I'm getting every one of them and I'm taking them to Texas author con again. I don't care. Hey, you just you just explained something that's really really big deal. Um, it's all about finding your people, finding your tribe. Like there is somebody for everybody. There is an audience for everybody. It doesn't it doesn't matter what it is that you have. This group of people may not have want to have anything to do with it. So you don't worry about trying to convince them. Move right on right. to the right people, and there is an audience for it. That's a pretty a big a pretty big deal, especially for us indie. This year at Texas AuthorCon, there's a huge mix of people too, so that's going to be nice. There's going to be a lot of cross germination. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be, I, I think it'll be cool, and people are going to want to try different things. So we're going to be able to pawn each other or pawn them to other tables. You know, I, it, it should be fun. I hope. God, I'm terrified of it, but talking about that now has me less terrified about AuthorCon. So like. Yeah okay, hey, which terror are we going to face today or not really? Yeah. So this is what I'm going to, I'm going to bring this guy for you, Mike, and then you can just sit there and sing some of your poetry to people. A little ukulele. <laughs> I, I bought a ukulele at the beginning of the pandemic because just like everybody, I said I was going to learn something and I can't do anything but hold it upside down and tap it like bongos and that sucks. <laughs> I saw all these cute girls doing Misfits cover songs with a ukulele, and I was like, that's where it's at. We need a bald, fat dad bod out there rocking out, you know, like doing some 90s hip-hop songs on a ukulele. I had, it was going to be Soul Assassin, Cypress Hill, House of Pain, beautiful. It's a lack of talent, killed it. That, but I like the I like where you're going with that. That's a good plan. That's a good party. Like I I mentioned even an after party, but I don't think anybody bit. <laughs> yeah, we were trying. But they said they said that the after party at the last um Texas AuthorCon didn't really go well. So uh, well it was uh it was a Sunday and we got down at like six. And I'll be honest, like for you guys to, to travel, you'll be at the hotel. But I'm like 40 minutes from my bed. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh wow, this was a whole lot of fun. But I had to people for well, eight straight everybody hours. Everybody knows that after, yeah, the after party goes on either Friday night or Saturday night. You don't do it the last night. No wonder it bombed. No, right. no, yeah, because everybody wants to travel the next day. Nobody wants to travel hungover. No, it's got to be Friday or Saturday. Yeah. 
it's going to be a blast though. I mean, the people that I know that are going to be there are fantastic. Uh, Candace is going to be there. She's great. If you guys don't know her very well, she's uh, amazing. Eric is great. Uh, Patrick, Chris, God, uh, Danica's coming for Duncan's table and Rain Havoc's going to be there, but she's not, not going to be there because nobody's supposed to know she's there. <laughs> don't worry. They won't be listening to this episode. So they, nobody. Yeah. She okay. said she was going to get a shirt that says, I'm not Rain Havoc. And I was like, then what's the point? <laughs> That's cute. Uh, you know, the only people that I know are um, Chantel and Jay. That's it. Well, that's okay. I mean, now you know me. So that means you know yes. all those people I just listed. Yeah. But nobody's a stranger to me. Like, I go. And Look I'm at like, Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm all like, you know. Know our faces because we'll probably have the after party in our room. <laughs> you know, I'm imagining that something fun is going to happen. I, I figure at least a couple rooms are going to be adjoining and there's going to be a door open and it's going to be a blast. And I'm yeah. still going to sneak into the car and I will be in my bed 30 minutes after it closes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it won't be on a Sunday. We won't be doing anything on a Sunday. Um, no. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll be able to make our live recording because we're going to do a live recording Friday night. Oh, uh, from the show? <laughs> like, uh, during the hours, or how are you going to do yeah, it? Yeah, th- we're going to be in the panel room from, uh, what was it? Is it 8 to 9, guys? See? Or 7 to 8 on Friday? Yeah, right. I don't remember. But, yeah, so we're going to be in there. We're going to do a live recording. And uh, oh, I'll have this thing through. I mean, yeah, we've got to get we'll everybody to swing through, right? Yeah, I think I think if we, it would probably be a hot mess episode. We're going to call it Hot Mess in Dallas. <laughs> but look, I mean, that we, accurate. The last, let's see, we did a live show at Pandemic one year. We did it at Scary Dads one year. So I think this we, is the this is the yeah. first time we've done it since then, right? Since uh, Pandemic, yeah. I think that was last. So yeah, oh, mm-hmm. we usually just have a hot mess, um, but they've they've always been really fun. It's just off the cuff, you know. That's mm-hmm. the best, right? Yeah. I, I did one podcast and they said, "Do you want the questions first? And I was like, "Oh God, no! I'm not going <laughs> to rehearse the answer. So if I know the questions now, I'm just bored because I know what comes next. Like, yeah. let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we try not to do we do too scripted. Yeah. It's it's difficult because then you get people like me that ramble and it's like, oh God, how do we wrangle them back in? So please just tell me to shut up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Speaking of scripted, I do I have um I usually write down, you know, some questions just so that I can, you know, bring us back in or whatever. But of course. um, you know, just we usually just have chit chat conversation. But I am curious if you have any real life horror or ghost stories anything that that's wild and that's weird that you um you know give us a good story we love good stories around here all right there's one but real so, real life. yes real of course i mean and if it's not you won't know so right. anyway there's one <laughs> so if you look up if you were to get on google and look up the illinois michigan canal you'd find it was this giant canal that they built basically to connect Lake Michigan all the way down to the Illinois River. And then it, it, so in this little town that I grew up in, it was Ottawa, Illinois, the canal had cut through there. 
So now the canal is nothing anymore. It's, it's a giant ditch. It's huge. But back in the day, you know, they filled it with water and they had the trails on the sides. So the donkeys actually would help pull the barges through so they could port to the next big river. So it was a big deal. So when I grew up, they'd taken on the sides, they'd put limestone paths, like, so it was just bright white, real chalky stuff. So when you rode your bike, it kind of looked like there was smoke coming out behind it. So I was always riding my bike through it. And the middle would be just filled with these long, like cattails. Do you know what I'm talking about? They sort of mm-hmm. look like uh, corn dogs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So like some big grass and their cattails would be swaying and there'd be some trees. So exploring as a kid, I crawled into one, into one of the thickets just to see what was in there. And there was a tree. And I'll never forget, I looked at the tree and hanging from it was like the bones of, I I don't know what it was. It was a cat, maybe it was a squirrel. I I was pretty young, so I knew it clearly wasn't human. It was some kind of animal, but it was kind of hung up there. And looking back now, creepy and ritualistic, looking back then as a kid, it was just kind of neat because it was bones. Mm. And I remember I rattled those bones and the wind Mm. started blowing. And it kind of, it was creepy because if you guys are from Texas, in Illinois, like in the middle of summer, summer can be hot, but you can still get a breeze that comes through and the breezes are cool. It's not like down here. I was surprised when I moved to Texas. The first time you see the wind, the leaves rustle and you're like, ah, here it comes. And it's like, whoa, I'm sweating. (laughs) Like in Illinois, a breeze is actually refreshing in the middle of the summer. Uh That one wasn't. It was just kind of, I don't know, it sent a chill. Mm. The bones I, I remember like, rattled mm. kind of like a chime. So oh. I got the hell out of it. I'm not nuts. You know what I mean? Like, even as a kid, yeah. I was like, well, I'm probably nuts now. But as a kid, I didn't know if I was. So I booked it. And I still remember while I was there, I watched the, the grass and everything. And as it was swaying, and it looked like water. And I swear for a second, just for a second, I saw what looked like a raft. Look. Hmm. And I remember it just, it was weird. Like it, it was superimposed over it. Like the, like the lead, like the grass was the water. And I just saw that raft and it was rocking and it got flipped. And I remember I ran back home to tell my aunt about it. And she told me that when she was a kid, she heard a story about a raft that had flipped over and the people that had died there. And she said it was right where I was. Oh. I always thought she was full of shit, but I might be as well. oh wow interesting Hmm. that's interesting Hmm. i I, we we do ghost hunting the two of us we've done a few things i'm actually jay mazer and i are going to go to a um, haunted bridge in katie at some point in the next few weeks and uh they say that you can hear things tapping on your window if you sit if you turn your car off on the middle of the bridge and you can feel things pushing at your car because they're trying to get you off the bridge. Okay, so I grew up on Art Bell. If you guys don't know Art Bell, he was coast to coast AM. He was overnight. He was a nut job. It was all conspiracy theories from his bunker in the desert in the middle of Nevada. But every year on Halloween, he did ghost to ghost. So mm. instead of being mm. the normal thing, it was just people called in and told ghost stories. And this was, I mean, God, what the 90s? So I remember my buddy would actually use cassettes and record the ghost to ghost and we would listen. And he lived at the base. His dad was the caretaker of a graveyard. 
so we tried all the ghost stuff like we did the uh where you would just leave the recording on and see like listen later to see if you could pick up spirits talking he had everything x-files hits we had like the detectors oh my god he still has cards that says he's a ghost hunter nice yeah i think that's cool i don't believe in any of it but i wish i did (laughs) you don't believe in ghosts i don't believe in anything no nothing at all where do you think where do you think we go when we die Right back to the nothing that we came from. Chaos? Dark? No. I mean, nothing. Nothing. Like, it's going to sleep. You're just never waking back up again, thank God. Like, I'm uh, hoping... I mean, that sounds amazing to me, if that works. (laughs) If that happens, I'll be fucking happy. That'll be great. (laughs) Like, I've studied all kinds of things, like, because I'd like to believe in something else, but sometimes heaven in the Bible is scary. Like, you're going to kneel at the throne of God and worship for eternity? Boy, that sounds shitty. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, can you imagine after, like, three or four hundred years of, yep, that's great. You glow awesome. Like, oh, no. No, not for me. Like that to one of my classmates in high school. I went to a Christian high school, and I remember saying something. She She was so scared. Because she was like, that is so heretic. And she was like, God is going to strike you down right now. And I was like, hell just sounds more fun. I mean, why would I want to go and, and be? And I was like, heaven sounds boring. It sounds like a, a terrible place to be to just be worshiping God all day. I mean, no. really? That's how I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life? And I was joking at the time, but um, she was so like, oh my God, no, please get away from me. <laughs> I assume anybody I want to talk to is not in heaven. Like anybody that I'm going to want to have a long conversation with, the the reason I want to talk to them probably is the reason they're not upstairs. Like, nope. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine going the rest of your, you know, the rest of your existence and never getting to have sex again, never getting to eat too much cake. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can't do. In heaven. <laughs> As you can tell, these are my two important things. Eating cake and having sex, for God's sake. <laughs> and they scare you. As a child, everything you do is the punishment is you can go to hell or Jesus is watching. And it's like, I, I remember it was kind of like, like you were saying there where they're like, what if God strikes you down? I remember somebody said to me and I was like, fuck it, do it. <laughs> and then like you know there was that moment like i had puckered butthole but then like i was like huh well well that was anti-climate you know like here we go like i think that was the long domino effect to like all of it's insane it's fun like mythology is great i love belief i think belief is probably the most beautiful thing because you just have to give it with your whole heart like you can't half-ass belief or it's not belief Mm, that's true i'm just i'm just not capable i guess i just always find it interesting to know what everybody's different perspective is because it's it's i mean it's fun because i i personally don't think anybody knows for certain anything so it's it's like it's all hearing like kind of different forms of fiction in a way like just hearing their perspective on it so it's fun in that in that regard and you know much about houdini Harry Houdini, the escape artist. Uh-huh. He was obsessed with it because all he wanted was a message from his mother. And I mean, he literally pursued it for, I mean, he was with 
Arthur Conan Doyle, they were both mad about it because they thought that spiritualism was a real thing. And I, I remember reading, uh, I've got his biography in the, or yeah, biography. I always want to say Otto, but there's no way because he's been dead a long damn time. If you but, have, we got some things to talk about. Oh, that'd be great, right? <laughs> but they said like at the last one when they, he almost believed and it was so close and then they gave the message and it wasn't what his mother swore to say and it just broke his heart. And I was like, oh, I, I worry about that with everybody who believes. Like, is there going to be that moment where they just stop believing? And that's got to be horrible. It's like, I mean, I think that, Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Chantel, because I know I've been talking a lot. I'm going to just make a note here because I got to come back no, to that. No, no, no. Say it. Say it. Say it. Uh, I, I don't. Okay. The movie Martyrs. Oh, yes. I think it's 2005. Martyrs. That part at the end still haunts me to this day because what did she say to her that made her go and end her life? She she did all of this for that transcendent message. And then this lady reached that peak, gave her the message, and she went and immediately killed herself. It haunts me to this day. What was the message? And I realized it was just a movie and it was just fiction and all that. But still, the whole the, the whole idea, the concept has just rattled me. What was the message? I want to know that message so bad. I always hmm. thought that was beautiful. I I really honestly like like I thought that was beautiful because I mean I wasn't that kind of message. It's just all bullshit. I don't. That's how I took it at least. I was like they just like it's life. You just keep pursuing something, and you know what happens at the end? You die. Well, I didn't know if it was. Yeah, that is one perspective. I did think about that, but if it also was like. It's just so amazing. I don't even understand why we're still here. Like, it's, let's just hurry up and get to the other side. Like, why am I here? Like, this is, oh. th that is where I need to be right now. Let me go. I want to go over there. That is amazing. And then that lady's like, you know what? I'm out of here. You so know what that is to you? What they say to her to you is, uh, what is the golden glow in Pulp Fiction that's inside the uh, briefcase? That, like it's that's your mystery. That's the one thing yeah. you need to have the closure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, that's <clears throat> that's what's so great about being. <clears throat> finally, what happened? Being a writer, right? We create stuff, and people put their own spin on it due to yeah. what they, what's in their reality. You know. Yeah, that's beautiful. weird. Now the thing that was the thing about The Walking Dead too. After the end of that first season, I had to know what the hell was whispered in that the, in her ear. Something was whispered. I can't. I can't remember the scene. Was it Andrea that it was whispered? Whatever it was, the next season it was at the end of the next season. <coughs> finally explained what it was, but I was like, oh my god, I gotta know what was said. What is the secret? What is this big deal? Did y'all watch The Walking Dead? Y'all know what I'm talking about, that part? Mm -hmm. That's that's when they, yeah. they revealed um, that everybody was ill. Everybody had the illness. Like, it wasn't... Is that you know, the helicopter um, episode? Um, No, no. I don't, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I, I, think it was a, I think it was season three or four. Oh, mm. okay. I, I've only watched the first season of it. I was a real big fan of the comic book. 
Okay. And the, and the TV series was okay, but one day somebody said to me that it's just people arguing and it could be anything else in the background. And then I watched an episode with that in mind and I started thinking that they were going to be attacked by ostriches and I couldn't take it seriously anymore. So I stopped. <laughs> uh, yeah, funny. I ruined it for myself. That's yeah. great. But and I'm gonna tell you what, on the same line of thinking about those messages and wanting a message from the other side or just a, some enlightened message or some, um, I remember from my own personal real life experience wanting to have a message, um, David Bowie, okay? And I know this is real random, but David Bowie, when he made his last album, Black Star, he knew he had cancer. He knew he was dying. And so when I listened to that whole album, it's like, I love the album, but then he died. And it was almost like when I went back, I wanted to hear the message that he had to have put in the album. It's like, you have got to be speaking to me as someone who knew he was going to die. You had to have put something in the music, in the songs. And I started listening to it from a different perspective. The song called Lazarus, for instance. Like then- The video for that? I'm oh sorry? my God, the video for Lazarus. Yeah. With him with the blind. My yes. God. Like, and then to know that he was sick and knew yes. he was dying when he recorded it. Like, yes. if it wasn't a gut punch enough that we lost David Bowie, he gave us this finale. Like, yes. just like he would. Oh God. Like, yes. I'm actually tearing up because that was yes. Bowie and Lemmy are the first two that really affected me. Yes. That's how I felt listening to this album. Cause I was like, this man knew he was dying and this oh. is his last message to us. This is his last gift to us. What is he, what is he imparting? What is he telling us on his way out? And it just took on a whole different perspective. Cause I think, I think it was almost like the album released maybe a week or two before he died. Like it was almost like I'm just now. It was super close. It was real close. The and video may have came out after he died. Actually. I can't remember for sure. I just remember that I had a very difficult time listening to that for yes. the longest. I just could like, I'm still kind of shaky when certain Bowie comes on. I'm like, Oh man, I, I'll never hear that live again. You know, like, there's some pain there. He was brilliant for 40 years, reinvented himself how many times, oh, yeah. and every time Super he creative. Did. Yeah, I mean, even with what, I Tin mean, Machine and stuff? Ugh. The Jeez. amount of, of talent in the music world today compared to what it was in the 70s and even the 80s, it's almost like, what the hell happened? <laughs> I mean, maybe computers is what, what the problem is, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, like that's where I was going earlier with the poetry thing. I, I kind of got off track there, but everybody tells me that they don't like poetry, but everybody likes music. Which is and poetry. I don't care for a yeah. lot of poets, but mm -hmm. man, I grew up on poetry. Joey Ramone is a poet, you know, like there's so many of these great artists that we don't think that they're of them as poets because that's yeah. not what they're famous for, but that's what they were. Yeah. And that's what they are. Yeah. So I think that everybody loves poetry. They just don't get it without the music. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's poetry with music. Uh, music actually adds more of a spell quality to it, right? 
it can it can put you so that baseline it can really trigger that memory it can fill it out more like the old factory senses kick in yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and which brings me to what Chantel was saying about what we do as writers like you're kind of bringing forth I mean to me it is it's it's a form of magic a form of spirituality it's it's our way of working through things, but we're imparting that to other people. And as they're reading it, they're getting different things too. And it's, it's a message. It's kind of like um, something, something as remarkable as what they're doing with music. There might be adding the music to it, but even as what we're writing, as we're writing it, we are releasing messages into the world for people to receive it. That is, that's a transference. Like it's the, the creative energy is godlike to me. Yeah. There's definitely there's a divinity in creation. There's no question, there's no feeling like it. There's no feeling like it when Absolutely. the words are going good. There's no feeling of frustration when the words aren't going good. That hangover after you finish a story. Like when when you try, you know you have the next one due, but there's nothing. I mean, yeah. you you you've, you're spent. You're it's going to be two or three days while you're on a story hangover. Yeah, because you have to separate you. Because you just, I'm crazy. I believe that I need to feel what I'm writing, because yeah. if I don't feel that way, you're not going to feel that way when you read it. Yeah. So I want to be miserable when I'm in a story. And I mean, God, sometimes that's not easy to shake. Yeah. Sometimes it starts to blur the line around you, especially I spend almost all my time just alone writing. So like it all blurs into one kind of blob, you know? Yeah. And listen, I'll tell you something, since we happen to be going in this direction, (laughs) uh, that I, I don't believe I've said to, to anyone, but one of the stories that I wrote, um, it was so upside down. Like I flipped the Bible and scriptures. There's a lot of people that would be pissed off at what I'm about to say. But if you read this particular story, you will see how I twisted everything. I, t- I, I grew up in the church. I, I know the Bible backwards and forwards. And I use that. There's a, I use that in my writing a lot, and it is not uh, from the religious perspective, let's just say that. And I felt so inspired while I was writing this that I, I remember telling one of my, my beta readers, like, I'm, kind of, I'm almost scared to go here. Like, this feels funny. This feels strange. I feel like maybe I'm treading in some, cat, in some territory that I shouldn't be. And she was like, no. Who, where do you think the inspiration is coming from? If if there is a God and he is inspiring you to write it, then write that shit. So I wrote it, but I'm going to tell you, I turned everything upside down so much that I can't even read the Bible anymore. When I read it, if there's anything I'm reading, it is backwards to me. Everything mm-hmm. about it, I am completely seeing it upside down and backwards in the way that I did when I was writing that story. It completely changed my relationship to it also. Now, which came first? <laughs> was it already That's a distortion? Awesome. Was right? it already a distortion to me that I put in there or was writing it distorting me? You know, I don't know. But 
when it was when when it was out and it was done that is how i look at it now like that is that is my that's what i see that's what i read i see it backwards and when i say backwards i'm talking about who is really the bad guy god or satan in the bible oh so, come on there's only one bad guy in that bible they, and and they added the good guy in much later the good guy wasn't really a factor for a long time until they decided we needed hell. Like, uh, there's, I, I'm, I love the Bible because I mean, almost every great story that we know now came from it. Like it's, it's the grandmother of Grimm's fairy tales to me. Like there, there's everybody pulls from it and you can, I mean, from the most absurd to the most beautiful, you can rip it right out of that text. Now, do I believe that, the word of God translated through a bunch of rich white dudes that made everything on the planet a woman or anybody that wasn't white's problem? Probably not, you know? Like, I think it's cool that when they decided that they were going to go to season two, they added a softer Jesus God. I thought that was pretty <laughs> neat, but they really fucked up the storytelling because the whole Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you kind of lost me there. Like, I was back for a minute, but then you killed yourself, and I was like, that's cool. But then you came back again, and I was like, eh, you know what I mean? A little shaky. Editing could have been better. That That's all I'm saying. But it's beautiful. Yeah. I have a story in Dream Whispers. It's called A Conversation with God. And that's literally what it is. It's an atheist. And it's me. And he goes to therapy. And the therapist just says, have you tried prayer? And he thinks it's a joke. But he does. And God answers. Mm. And then it's just, and I was worried how people were going to take it. But, you know, if you do your truth, it doesn't fucking matter what you're saying. People will see that it's your truth. And even if they don't yeah. agree with necessarily with what you're saying there, what you said resonates enough that they're cool. Like I've had no complaints, but I kind of hoped for it. I, I like arguing the Bible. Mm -hmm. What do you want your readers to take from, from your stories when they're reading it? What do you want um, to happen? I know you did mention that you like to feel something while you're writing because you, you realize that that's the only way to make sure that your readers are feeling also. Is it is it a feeling that you want them to get? What do you want them to take away from your your stories? Yeah, I'm pretty peculiar. Every single story I find what I feel like is the emotion. And then that's what that story is then. I try to color every single bit of it to focus it in on there. So if it's like, ah, uh, Candace had me write a story and I said, what do you want? And she said, soul crushing. And I was like, Mm. I, guess, I guess that's what we're doing then and that's so I just then every color has to be you know little daggers of black in there just to uglify everything up so I yeah I just want to make them feel something like I've got a book coming out in September that's it's called Cuckoo and honestly my goal is to make you cry mm. multiple times mm. Mm. yeah like to her I want to hurt the reader I guess maybe it's payback maybe it says something about me Thanks a lot for picking up my poetry book <laughs> or AKA not picking up the fucking book. <laughs> I mean, right. There you go. Yeah. I mean, whatever. They'll come back eventually. Yeah. yeah. Mike, given that you are, um, you have borderline personality disorder. Are you ever afraid that you're going to get in a dark place and not be able to come back up or come back out of it? 
With, Absolutely. I mean, especially with the writing, like you, you are taking yourself down into the depth so that you can feel it, so you can bleed on the page. Do you ever feel that you are going to be there and not be able to bring yourself back up to, to, or you're just going to stay down there and, you know, do something more permanent? I've got a support system in place of people that, because I know, because I, I can't tell, but w when I did cuckoo i was i guess suicidal ideation daily mm -hmm. because of how dark it is and it was just the heartbreak of it and I, I just i had to live it and i had to get it out as quick as possible so i couldn't leave it mm -hmm. so i it's it was nice to have people to talk to because you know as the character is wanting to die and you're wanting to die at the same time and i could not i can't read it still mm -hmm. uh we, i got a group that just beta read it for me and as they were talking about it i just like even the end just thinking about the end i can sob like yeah. i just i i can't i'll never be able to separate from it i don't think yeah which is cool i mean that that means you left something on there i guess right yeah yeah well that's good that you have you know the pathway for yourself carved out like, okay, if you don't hear from me in so many hours, I need you to do this, you know, and things like that. I mean, honestly, there, there is, there's, there's daily, some people check in like every day just to say, hey, what's going on? And some are weekly, but if, if I miss them, there is definitely concern, which is, it's nice to know that it's there because that's also something with my issues is I don't think I matter. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I don't talk unless spoken to mostly because what's the point? Nobody wants to hear it. You know what I'm saying? And mm. you know that it's wrong, but that doesn't stop you from feeling it. Yeah. Well, My and it's good to say things like that, especially on a platform like this, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, especially creative people, yes. feel that way. And they think this is just me and this is how I feel. No. Yeah. everybody has those voices right. and especially if you're creative you're going to have more of them and i'm going to tell y'all all of y'all right now why it's because people who are not nice who are not good people see your light and they will try to put it out with their words with their actions with their deeds be cautious of certain people even sometimes you think they're your friends yeah and they aren't that's right I remember I wanted to write and my ex-wife told me that it was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Even up to when yeah. the first book came out, my kids were like, he's got a book. Like, I think even to this day, 60 stories are, I mean, more than that, God out there in the world. And she still thinks that it's just a joke or a waste of time. And I'm like, I listened to that and I believed it. So I didn't. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. people out there are doing that. They've got that dream. I mean, this is the time to do it. Yeah. And I think this is so important to talk about because this is, I know how you said you, you were writing, you spend a lot of time by yourself writing. Um, a lot of times when you're going through these things, we feel alone. Like we, it's like we are by ourselves in it. And, and um, so it's important to have these discussions so that people who are listening can know that whatever the the demons that are in their head and and i'm not speaking like little red people walking around i mean like the, the it feels dark like it though yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean the darkness the dark thoughts the the um for me it would become like a negative will this is just circular just constantly coming um 
or, you know, those intrusive thoughts that you can't seem to get away. Logically, you know that it's not right, but at the time, it doesn't matter. That's all that is going through your mind. I have been in situations where every bad situation that I've had with somebody will come to mind over and over and over and over again, like it's on a loop, on a repeat. Like, why? Like, why now? Um, so those things, it happens. It comes up. Yeah. And if you happen to be someone that's dealing with that, you are not alone. You are not the only person having to deal with it. Like, there's a lot of us that have those same issues that we deal with on a regular basis. Um, we're here to tell you getting getting it out through some sort of artistic form can make a big difference. Absolutely. It really can. A lot, a lot of people are too proud or cannot afford because nobody gives a fuck about mental health in this country. Yeah. And it's... And there's the stigma of having it that you're crazy, which I mean, some of us have just accepted and I'm good with it. Like you can call me crazy all you want. That is not an insult, Right. but there's a lot of people that weren't raised that way. And there's a lot of us that have been raised by people that had problems that were never diagnosed. And we thought that was normal. I mean, honestly, for the longest time, I didn't think there was something wrong with me. I thought everybody felt everything at 10,000% all the time, and I couldn't understand when they didn't. Mm-hmm. And it well, it took a long time to realize, no, you're fucking nuts, buddy. Like, <laughs> they're normal. They feel happy for a second, and then they move on with their lives. They're still not dwelling on this. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's something else that I did realize is people just don't. They're not open about it. They don't talk about it. And mm-hmm. that's a goddamn shame. Yeah. yeah. When, when did you first go to, um, uh, through the mental health system, I guess? When did you first realize, uh, I need to get some help with this, with these feelings that I have, these the situations that are coming up? My dad died in, oh God, 2003. Like I, I, I say that, like I'm thinking about it, like it's not burned into my brain, but when I like stop, it's, it's nebulous. But yeah. he died in 2003 and I guess I never quite recovered. Okay. But it wasn't that I never quite recovered. It was, I finally, after finding out that rock bottom is bullshit and that's paradise because you can go so much lower that I realized that it wasn't right. Yeah. And finally, uh, it wasn't so much the diagnosis that made it, I guess the diagnosis is what was the better cure because the drugs made me numb and I really can't describe what it's like to be a human firework, Yeah, but it's wonderful when it's wonderful and it's mm-hmm. not when it's not but god damn it when it's wonderful that that's why so many manic depressives as we used to be before they keep changing the name to something yeah. different something different that's why we die of drug overdoses because we chase that mania because there's nothing like it yeah like that's that, all the 27 year olds that die i mean they were chasing that dragon that you only get when your brain lets you mm-hmm. and i just i don't know i guess i realized that I didn't want to be numb because that was not a good feeling because I, I couldn't, I couldn't go from that was going one extreme to another. 
Yeah. And I was used to that my whole life. So I'd rather bounce like a ping pong. And once I recognized what it was, it made it a lot easier. Not a hundred percent, but I know when what I'm thinking might be crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you don't, mm-hmm. I write a poem. Yeah. I and get a have, poem out and boom. You have such a way with words. Do you have any, any training with, um, you know, like you have an English background or something? No, no. I just, I have been an avid reader my entire life. Uh-huh. So I guess that's probably, uh, everybody says that I've got a pretty big vocabulary, but I've got yeah. seven poems you can only use the same words so many times before you're sick of it you know what I mean yeah Uh, what I find my biggest inspiration is I like to I'll find a new word in a book and then I'll find the definition and then I'll write three or four poems with that word in there so then it's part of it and next thing you know it's in a book and I'm like oh shit like that's actually me now like yeah that's clever Um, words are great they're beautiful yeah Somebody needs to tell the pop artist that of the world because I mean I swear every pop song is oh my god it's like well it, it's I I can't even think of the right term but it's just those things that everybody says all the time and you're like how is that original like where's your original thoughts here <laughs> but that's it's I, crazy it's, it's the same thing as going to the store and getting a Pepsi you know what I mean you you don't care you just want sugar and you want an instant oral satisfaction and to move on like that there's no sustenance to it i mean you can go to mcdonald's yeah. that's why we go to mcdonald's instead of having a salad mm. Mm. we we oh. just want to be full we don't care what we're ingesting oral Apparently. Sex. that's that's our sex part of the episode oral yeah i'm <laughs> the worst oh i did I, I i can talk sex real quick if you guys want sort of absolutely so the other day i wrote a poem and it was sexual and it was probably violent, but do you want me to read it? Is that okay? Yeah, Is that sure. We can do? I'm sorry, I don't mean to do this, but it really bothered me because I was called a misogynist for it. And Uh-oh. I mean, it's- yeah, they got real mad at me and let me find it real fast. And then I just want you guys to tell me if I'm a misogynist because I asked my friends because I really, did not want that to be the case. You know what I mean? Like that was not intent. And it- I, I don't think you should let anyone guide how, what you, what you want to write, how it comes out. I think and, you write whatever you are inspired, even if it is misogynistic. That's just my perspective. You know what? And you know, I, you know, I agree. Cause I love Bukowski and he was misogynist and he was a pig. And I would never write that because I don't feel that. But I, you're right though. I mean, there may be a character or a time where that is what you're thinking. I just, mm-hmm. anyway, My... all right. So this is the poem and I just want you to tell me if this seems misogynistic. Okay. Okay. All right. It's called A Feast. Yes. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I'm going to, we'll try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She smiles as the blade traces up my shin, the barest pressure, a thin line of crimson beating in a slow drip. 
Into my thighs, she carves our initials, ever possessive in insecure stockings, but I smile wide. A demon possessed in lustful repose as the cartoon hearts cut deeply to bone. I cannot control my laughter as her nails carve xylophonic furrows down my now bare ivory ribs, and I feel myself stiffen as her teeth bite fiercely upon my fluttering heart. She straddles me, grinding with a painful intent that does nothing to slow the convulsions. As the sharp blade comes down again, 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 and I explode inside her wet slit, hot blood runs down her heaving breasts. I gave her my everything, and she gave me the only thing she knew. And somewhere in this hellstorm of razor declarations, a symphony of desire crashed down upon an unsuspecting world. She staggered away slightly worse for wear. I became a feast for love's bloated maggots. That's I, the imagining. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, to me, it was clearly worship of her. And I even went as far as to look up the word because I thought maybe I was wrong. And yeah. it was to perpetuate or instill hate or violence against a woman. So I went back to her when she called me a misogynist. And I said, in this poem, the woman has the blade. So I was yeah. trying to clarify that any violence that was enacted, which was all metaphor, clearly, because nobody is mm -hmm. going to do that when somebody's biting your heart, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. like, uh, anyway, suspending any kind of disbelief there, like, I was shocked because yeah. I, I thought this was a worship piece. If anything, she was able to do anything, you know, like, yeah. the ultimate in love was the intention, and I just, misogynist. Was this your typical audience? I, she has been, I, she has been a reader forever. And what I wonder is, I don't do a lot of sexual poetry. Mm. Mine is mostly depressing, but I was kind of in a kick where I was writing more erotic. Mm -hmm. And that's when she took umbrage. And I'm wondering if I like somehow ruined the fantasy of mm. the sad poet because the sad poet has a penis. And like, <laughs> She forgot <laughs> until like there was a poem. You know what I mean? It happens yeah. a lot in the poetry. They 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 stop seeing you as a person, and they've got this image of you mm -hmm. that they forget. Like, yes, I'm sad, but like, I like everything the... is grander. You know, yeah. like I I also sit and I played Diablo Four beta all weekend in my boxers. Like, that's yeah. a good life. Like, yeah. there's balance. I... <laughs> yeah. No, no disrespect to your reader, but um, I don't think she was really the the right audience for this. For that yeah, piece, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't for that piece, and yeah. she'd been so supportive. No, she called me a dumb fuck even because I said that, and then she told me how a woman can be a misogynist, and I was like, okay, I guess like you know, if a woman hates a woman, I guess technically you could. It's a stretch of the definition, but like. A woman stabbing a man does not make her a misogynist. That would be whatever the opposite. And I don't know what that yeah. is, but I'm sure it's an ugly word. But it was such a meta. It was so clearly a metaphor. Oh my I god! Right. Understand. The only yeah. thing I see is perhaps she was saying that this was inciting violence towards women because it had her as the villain. That's the only thing I could think of. But what I would say to something like that: write it. 
if that if you were inspired to write it, you write what you want to write and just put a trigger warning. Just put a trigger warning. Like my next, I do. I write a lot of sex and violence. Like I put the two together. Right. And my next one is going to be really out there in terms of sexual violence. But I'm just going to put a trigger warning on it. If this is not the sort of thing that you like to read, don't read it. Like, do not read this. Like, please don't. <laughs> because you are not the target audience. And yeah. if you put a warning on this, this is kind of sex and violence, then she would know, okay, this is a piece that I probably should stay away from. You yeah. know, no. I will never put a trigger warning on anything that I ever do. I, I no, I, that's and, and I understand it. I totally get the point in trigger warnings, and I understand why some people do it. But no, fuck you. Like I honestly, my I mean, opinion I mean, is fuck the readers. Fair enough. No. Um, well, I mean, but in all honesty, when you write poetry, people, we're not writing poetry. Because I see that, Mike, you and I write very similar when it comes to poetry. And you're writing it because you are you are basically flicking something out at your audience, whether it's pain, whether it's happiness, whether it's sex, whatever you're doing, you are intentionally throwing it at the person so they feel it. Because you travel. feel it. Like in yeah. my mind, these images are drabbles, and I control the the way you breathe when you read it, and that's why it's poetry instead of a story. Yes, mm. yes. But my and God, so like, I, all poetry is should be trigger warning. Period. If it's that's poem, what I was going to say, I would have to put a yeah. trigger warning on it. Warning: This one is happy. This <laughs> one may make you smile. Warning: Picture of duck. No, fuck you. You're coming into poetry. I expect if you're going into poetry, you expect something visceral. Hmm. And if I warn you yep, that it's it is coming, gonna, I mean, it if is you know that you. it's coming, now it's not mm -hmm. there. Now I've just diffused the bomb before you're even afraid it could go off. Nah. Yeah. I, I, mm. I, I, I mean, trust me, I'm going to be putting, oh, I will ahead. be putting warnings on, on my new book because, I mean, there's some shit in there that I was even like, as after I wrote it, I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> Where did that come from? Thinking now, you got you kind of got me thinking. Like maybe I should just shock and <laughs> just hurt people. Just ugh. you know what? I guess there's certain taboos that you're gonna want to warn people of. Like I, I guess if there's violence against kids, maybe if there's weight. Yeah. If you've got like the big things that really, but I guess in my mind also with those, if it's in the story. It's in the story for a reason. Mm -hmm. Those aren't two things that I would go with just because, again, I I don't like when men write rape because that really does feel fantasy. And mm -hmm. I do always find that to be weird. Like, I know it's not every time, but I just feel like if I did it, I wouldn't want anybody to ever think that that was my fantasy. Mm -hmm. I, I guess yeah. if that makes But I, that's not the kind of story I write either. So if I can't imagine it being in there, but God, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I definitely, it's a weird feeling. We had it. We had an author on here years ago that wrote some stuff, and I was really uncomfortable with this author. And it's exactly for what you just said, because it's a male writing this extreme violence against females, and it was just really weird for me to to talk about with this person. And the person was a nice person. Don't get me wrong, but I just thought. That you know Boy, that's what i have found in the extreme horror is 
the people who write the most repugnant, vile things are just the sweetest, most unassuming people. When you actually talk to them, you're like, oh my God, I, I don't understand how that connect is there. Like, yes, but, but is that, isn't that kind of a way of them getting it out without actually having the consequences? You know, like somebody might fantasize about going to, to shoot up a school, but we don't actually do it. We put it on paper. Whereas there's some, I else. don't know. Have you watched the news lately? This is America. We just do it. Daily. <laughs> yeah, just that's, do why it. I, that's why I'm talking about the, those of us who don't, that it right. may be fine, but instead of actually going and doing it, we actually put it into some sort of art, you know, where it's, it's yeah. not, it, we don't have the consequences that come with it. Whereas someone else, they just go and act it out, which is, obviously not the right move so i yeah. think maybe this extreme horror you know they seem to be so nice but that's that's kind of the way they find their balance I, possibly i i don't know i sometimes i worry like sometimes i do feel like there is some responsibility there was a political mm -hmm. anthology that had come out and they'd asked me if i wanted to do a story and i had an idea and i really liked it it was mm -hmm. just going to be it was they were nuts and they just decided by bumper sticker that that's who they were going to go after and kill. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you know, you drive around, you see it, but then I started writing and I was like, no, because <laughs> this is too, like, if this happened, like, you know what I mean? Like there's that chance, like yeah. people are just fucking crazy now. And I, I can see somebody going, Oh, Oh really? You're going to wear a blue and a red state. Like, Oh no, no. Like I, mm. I don't want to play that game. Like I, it's yeah. just it's it's a minefield nowadays. I never know what is acceptable, what isn't. You just have to stay true to yourself. Too much life, yeah. Too much life imitating art. I mean, there is a lot of life imitating art right now. Yeah, My but God. stop with the game, with the the video games, with the movies. Okay, there was a John Wick movie. It was violence for three hours. Is I mean, you know, we're gonna right? play quick the next time somebody goes and and decides that they're an assassin and you know. You know what? If they think that it'll uh, get them votes, yeah, they're gonna blame anything that they can blame for it because that gets them votes. I mean, I've been playing violent games my entire life. My kids have been smashing turtles as an Italian plumber, and I've taken them by lizards. They've never killed one. Yeah, like my son has never stomped a turtle's back, and he's an expert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Blaming yeah. I, I, it's because nowadays. The TV is constantly on. The, mm -hmm. the internet is constantly on. The feed is constantly on. There's just... Well, I will say this much for religion. I'm bringing it... Hey. Oh, go ahead. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back to where we started in the beginning in this conversation. Because oh, no. even though, you know, with religion, I don't think... I don't think it's the worship of God that the world needs. I think it's the concept of morals. Because there are so many people that don't have morals. My God, there's people that do shit to their own children that is beyond shocking. Like, why in the fuck would you think that was okay? Or how can you actually do what you're doing? Like, how? How is that possible? And You've got so I think... No, go ahead. No, no. No, I was, just, I was just saying, I think the fact that we have a lack of any kind of religious really i mean unless they're zealots there's hardly any casual religious beliefs out there you know what i mean and that's the only thing i can say about religion is it does give people a sense of right and wrong 
you got to think how bad people were that they had to go as far as to write a book saying, don't fuck your neighbor's wife. Mm. Don't yeah. steal his shit. Hey, don't kill. Yeah. You know and what, guys? What? I, I know you're thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, like we had to set, we had to write rules to tell people don't be asshole because yeah. human yeah. nature is to be asshole. And now with the, well, the, I just, I feel like yeah. now we celebrate being assholes. Oh yeah. I just watched Ant-Man at the theater. I don't know if you guys have seen Ant-Man. Have y'all seen that? No. I did not like it. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So, Dicey, does it matter if I talk about it? No, you go ahead. Um, I, okay. I've not been happy with the latest Marvel, so no, I'm not going to okay. Well, this follows so, <clears throat> Well, there's the character from the first Ant- Was it the first Ant-Man movie or the second? There's only been the one. How many Ant-Man movies? Two. I don't even know. There's two. Okay, so the the guy who was the wasp was he the wasp? What was he? The yellow jacket or whatever he was? Yellow jacket, yes. Okay, so he was in part. He was in part two, and he was the bad guy again. Though he was really creepy, weird. He was in the multiverse, so he looked crazy. But at the end, you know, the little girl was, or she was a big girl now. She'd grown up. Um, Ant Man's daughter was like you can he's like i don't know what to do i don't know who to be she's like you can stop being a dick and he was like but i've always been just a horrible person she's like it's never too late to stop being a dick and that was like the best thing about that whole movie because that's the fucking truth it is never too late to stop being a fucking dick it's never too late right it's gotta be fucking exhausting just being an asshole constantly finding a reason to be upset I mean, like, just does nothing bring happiness to you? Like, and there are yeah. people, out, and and I don't think people are like that. I just think that it's easier to act that way online, and then you're cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think we believe anybody feels anything anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it is. It is a crazy world we're in. But at the same time, I mean, you do have. You do have a small portion of people. I have noticed this new generation of, of people that are almost like the hippies. There's like new types of hippies. They're very lovey-dovey, very peace, but they also don't take shit, unlike the hippies. The hippies were always like, oh, you know, whatever, you kick me, whatever. These people are like, yeah, I'm going to probably now kick you back. But they're still really cool. Like, if you don't fuck with them, they don't fuck with you. It's just like have respect, have good, you know, do good things to others, good things happen to you, you know, we're all, like, peace-loving harmony, but if you bring down the harmony, then, you know, you're, you're, out of, you're, you're, off, you're off the cool table, nobody wants to be around you anymore. I think in the it's 60s, an interesting thing. in the 60s, when they were hippies, they actually thought there was a chance. Like, they thought that, like, maybe this peace, love, and happiness can actually happen. Now, they just want the peace, love, and happiness because they know everything is so fucked and it's just, like, the timer is going. Like, it's, oh, yeah. what's the point in being a dick now? Like, my daughter's 18 and she's talking about college and she's like, what do I do? And I'm like, I don't know, liberal arts, whatever makes you happy. I'm like, rack up $100,000 debts for a world that's ending in 20 years so you can be miserable working <laughs> with a piece of paper. I'm like, no, be happy, do what you want because yeah. we only get one time. And so many people are so worried about the wrong fucking things. Their whole thing is yeah. paper money that means nothing. 
You don't, it, it, it literally means nothing. In 1863, they stopped meaning that the dollar held value of the same amount of silver. It became made up, yet that's all they chase. And I mean, fuck how empty is that? I just want to be happy yeah. and I want everybody to smile as much as possible because we're all ending up in the same size hole. Yeah. You know, that's a good, that's a good word place to end it. We've kind of gone over time by like 15 minutes, but that's a, that's a Oops. good word right there. That was great. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I ramble. No conversation can you tell everybody where they can find you and you know uh, plug whatever you want to plug oh goodness uh actually today is the 28th when we're recording so uh the aristocrats joke anthology came out from potter's grove today it's a charity anthology dedicated to gilbert Gottfried. Oh. uh there's like 13 of us we were challenged to channel one of our favorite authors, but to tell the aristocrats joke, which is the most, if you don't know it, I'd say YouTube it, but it's going to ruin your life. It is the most filthy, disgusting, horrifying joke ever. I did mine as Stanislaw Lem. I'm telling you, if you're not offended by this, the fact that it's charity is the only reason this book isn't putting everybody involved in hell. <laughs> but uh mnnbach.com for daily poetry and if you go there to my about page there's the link to my books i put news and stuff and you'll see me at texas AuthorCon, and i'll be at AuthorCon this weekend doing a poetry panel and a reading on saturday night lots of stuff wow i'm busy yeah yeah that's wow, great Holy crap. Awesome. i really enjoyed this conversation it went way more philosophical than entertainment or educational i mean yeah we yeah. can talk smut next time. If you ever have me back on, like I'll be totally prepared. A uh, trash from Return of the Living Dead kissed me twice, so I will tell that story. <laughs> you actually provided us with some some sex and violence, so I, I think you got the erotic covered too. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. I look forward to meeting you in July. I can't wait. Thank you very much, ladies. You have a great night. You too. Have a good night. Night listeners. Good night. Okay. Let me see.